Welcome to Behind the Smile with Ash Butters, a podcast designed to reveal the truth behind the masks we wear. Together, we look to demystify the human mind and its behaviours in relation to mental health, trauma and addiction. My name's Ash and I'll be your host as we uncover the real stories of people's pain and the steps they've taken to live a life of freedom and recovery. From sobriety to spirituality, join me each week as we uncover the reasons why people seek recovery and how their lives have changed by living one day at a time. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Smile. Today in the chair we have Lucy Quick. Now Lucy is a certified life coach and is also the founder and CEO of Thrivalist, an organisation empowering and inspiring sober curious women across the globe. Lucy made the decision to give up alcohol for good on the 1st of January 2019 and since then has been driven by a desire to help others live life to their full potential. Her company Thrivalist is a sober community and safe space for women to come together to change their relationship with alcohol and heal their lives. I'm beyond thrilled to have Lucy here with me today and with that I'd love to welcome her onto the show. Lucy, welcome to Behind the Smile. How are you? Thanks, Ash. I'm so good. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me into your beautiful space to record this. My absolute pleasure. And I'm just so thrilled that you agreed to come onto the show. We were just chatting off air then saying how awesome it is that we're so close, but yet we've never met before. (laughs) So that's the beauty of, I suppose, social media and being able to join our lives together, especially being that we work in a similar space. So I'm yeah beyond thrilled to have you on the show and I'm really excited to dive into our questions today. As I mentioned, I think there's probably going to be a lot of similarities with our stories, being that we both work in the recovery space. So with that, let's kick it off. I've got a few questions. I'd love to start with letting our audience know a little bit more about you. So can we start with you telling us perhaps who you are, what your family life looks like, what you do for work and what you do for fun? Sure, Ash. So I'm obviously a sobriety coach and the founder and CEO of Thrivalist. I'm a mum of two. I'm actually a single mum, but I have got a boyfriend. So I don't know whether you can still say single mum. I um, separated from my kid's father in 2020 Mm. and met my now partner nine weeks later. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it was was pretty quick. But um, yeah, so single mum, I'm, yeah, just absolutely obsessed with my business and you know one of your questions is what are your hobbies and this is so bad but my hobbies are anything to do with my business just you know spending so much time making sure my community is happy and taken care of and yeah so yeah that's pretty much me. I can so relate to that. It's funny you say this. I was lying in bed last night and I had gotten home from teaching two yoga classes and I was lying in bed and I was, I caught myself, it was about 10.30 at night and I had anticipated I'd be in bed by about 9.30 and it was 10.30 and I thought to myself, I've just, I've just lost an hour working. And I think it's that combination of working for yourself and just having this drive and this passion where it doesn't feel like work that you'll just find hours go by and I'll always catch myself being like oh god I'm, I'm doing it again. <laughs> yeah and I think that that's a really magical place to be in to find a career and a business that really lights you up and not only that is helping so many women and I mean people I know that you coach men as well is that mm, right? Yeah. Mm. 
Um, so, yeah, I think I'm very, very blessed to be in this space. Wonderful. Now, Lucy, I mentioned at the top of the show that you made the decision to give up alcohol in 2019. Can you tell me a little bit about the years that led up to that moment and what life looked like for you at the time? Yeah, so, I mean, I always start this by going way back to, you know, my early teen years. So, I was the kind of person that should never have been a drinker from the get-go I was the one blacking out the one you know making an absolute fool of myself um I never had an off switch and I remember a lot of people would say that to me you just don't have an off switch once you start um you're out of control and so this kind of carried on through my teenage years and I I just never imagined a life without alcohol it didn't seem like an option it was I need to sort out how to drink I need to learn how to control this thing so that I can be normal Um, And this really carried on through my 20s and I moved over to London to sort of change up things and I lived over there for for quite a long time and while I was over there I I managed to find this really great balance with my drinking because I did quite a lot of coke Mm. and that really (laughs) levelled me out and I thought, oh, this is so much better. Um, I can, you know, I don't get the blackouts, I'm not falling over, I'm much more in control. And, you know, so that was my experience in London and then I moved back to Melbourne when was that? 2011. And, um, you know, people weren't doing as much coke and also it was way more expensive. Expensive. (laughs) You were going to say that. Yep. Um, And so my life kind of slipped back to that binge drinking every weekend, blackout, blackout drinking. And um, I met my husband around this time, my ex-husband now. And, you know, our life together was very much centred, centred around alcohol. So, we would stay home and drink. We would go out and drink. We'd have parties at the house and have a lot of, you know, alcohol. And I I really – I always kind of knew that I wasn't meant to marry him. But because of the place that I was in emotionally, I didn't have much self-respect or self-love. Um, and I felt like, oh, I found this person who's going to accept me for being crazy because I was just the crazy the crazy drunk. Um, and obviously that that didn't end, end well. But – you know, towards the end of so leading so in my twenties, got married in my my late twenties and had my first child in my early thirties, and um, it just kept progressing. And so so just taking you back to getting pregnant, mm. I remember thinking, now that I'm pregnant, I'm going to be a mum. My life is going to be different. I'm going to be cured. I'm not going to be this this messy drinker anymore. I'm going to you know be so focused on raising my my children or my child at that time. Um, and pretty much straight after she was born, well, not straight after, after I stopped breastfeeding around five months, it just all went back to the way that it was mm. and even worse. So I actually began drinking um, a lot more after I had kids. So it was almost, it turned from a weekend thing a couple of times during the week and the weekend to every night because I suddenly had a whole lot of uh, new responsibilities and stresses that I wasn't used to before, but I hadn't learned the tools to manage the stress and I hadn't learned coping mechanisms that were healthy and supportive. So, of course, my drinking increased. Mm. Um, and I spent that period between Bonnie, my daughter, being born to my son being born, which was four, four and a half years, um, in a really dark place. And I went back to working in my marketing I was working in corporate marketing at that point. So I went back to working full-time really quickly. Um, I really hated my job. I didn't, you know, I wasn't happy. 
and I would come home every night and just pour that bottle of wine and, mm. and you know, one bottle would go, the next bottle would be opened and I'd sort of say, as long as I can keep half there, then it's not it's not two bottles. Mm. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that time between my two kids being born, I was drinking every day. I was drinking a bottle and a half every night and then on the weekend, you know, God knows what else yeah. was, you know, being drunk and it was often the G&Ts that would start after lunch and then go on into the evening and, yeah, a lot of um, a lot of bad things happened around that time as well because I was in blackouts pretty much every weekend and I was going to my friend's hen's parties and not remembering what had happened and um, I actually went to a hen's party where there was about five women there who were all got married to my ex-boyfriends and it was just the weirdest situation. (laughs) (laughs) And so to be in a full-blown messy blackout for that Mm. night saying all of these things to these women and my girlfriends were reminding me the next day, don't you remember you said this, you said that? And I'm like, oh, my God. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, and being a really sensitive person as well and someone who – you know, is actually quite, you know, I really value my pride and my self-respect to be able to, you know, treat myself in that way. Mm. It really took me a long time to bounce back up from those sorts of nights. Mm. And so after my son Ted was born, well, I'll give it another six months of breastfeeding and kind of being normal <laughs> until I, I really got stuck back into drinking and that was towards the end of 2018. And I was in a really bad place with pretty much everything in my life. I was just stuck in this horrible rut with depression. I had really bad anxiety. My ex-husband and I were just fighting nonstop, really unhappy. Just a really yucky place to be in. And I was using alcohol to to self-medicate again. And it was leading up to that Christmas period um, where I just – my drinking really ramped up. And there was – I talk about this Christmas day, which was kind of my rock bottom – um, I'd never been drunk on Christmas Day before and this year I I remember we'd had a really horrible Christmas Eve where I'd had a big fight with my ex and I'd woken up just feeling distraught and I don't know, all the things that you feel after you drink too much and arriving at my sister's house for Christmas Day and she had the, um, oh, what were they called, the drinks that everyone was drinking, you know, the Champagne and mimosas. N- no, the other orange one juice with the red. I always forget the name of it. Oh. Spritzer, um, Aperol Spritz. Aperol Spritz. <laughs> How could I not know that? I've drunk a few in my time. I know. <laughs> and I just got stuck straight into those. And within an hour, I mean, I was in a blackout. And so my Christmas day was super messy. Um, I've got little flashes of memories of what happened, but I basically left and um, ran off had a fight with my husband, ran off down the street, jumped in an Uber and left my kids behind uh, with him and went to my friend's party who I didn't realise it was just kind of her family there and I've rocked up Mm. like in an absolute state and embarrassed myself. I broke the front fence. I, you know, did a whole bunch of stuff apparently, like told someone to fuck off and, you know. Mm. Um, So she put me back in an Uber very quickly she said I was only there for about 10 minutes but I managed to do you know a whole bunch of stuff and that next morning I woke up in the spare room upstairs and I'd often wet the bed as well that's another thing and waking up wet the bed spare room oh my god what happened yesterday like I'm still in my Christmas day dress 
and checking my phone, I see this alert and it says, um, it's an alert from Uber saying, your account has been, uh, your account has been deactivated. Please contact us um, for further information. Mm. And my heart, I mean, my heart, my stomach dropped. I felt so sick and so anxious. Like what had I done in that Uber to be banned from Uber? And I still don't know and I don't want to know. (laughs) I talk about it and I think, oh, God, I hope that Uber driver doesn't reach out and say, this is what you did. Anyway, um, and so that next morning I really realised this is becoming, you know, this situation where my drinking is dangerous, potentially endangering other people's lives as well as my own. I'm breaking, you know, people's front fences and my friends are starting to really worry about me. But that wasn't the last time I drank. A few days later, I had a friend's wedding and I made this rule. So between the Boxing Day and her wedding was on the 27th, I made a rule with myself, well, a commitment, I guess, and I wrote a mantra down and it said, I will moderate my drinking. And back then, that word moderation, you know, I we didn't really talk about it. Now I feel like it's a, a term that's used all the time because of the work that I do, but I really wanted to learn how to moderate. And I wrote the mantra on my hand I had a plan. I was allowed to have one glass of champagne. I had to drink water. I had to make sure I ate all the food, leave with my husband, you know, at a respectful hour and wake up and feel really great about myself. And I really, really tried um, and went went to the wedding with that approach. And after the first glass of champagne, I mean, I, it was over. And the same thing happened. Blackout. I mean, I actually went back to a house party. My friend asked me to leave the house party. Then I came back to the house party. So all of these really embarrassing things. And so that following morning was a real aha moment where I realised I am never going to be able to control this. And I've been trying for 20 years Mm. and it's just never going to happen. And so I actually went away that day with my family to our property in the Yarra Valley. And um, my sister said to me, you should listen to this podcast. There's this amazing guest on it. I think you'll be interested. And it was Ruby Warrington, who's now like my sober guru. I'm obsessed with her. (laughs) And she was talking on this podcast about, you know, this whole idea that we don't have to, we don't have to identify as an alcoholic. And I know that you're from AA, so we have different sort of, I guess, views and, and, and maybe angles in terms of this, but... Um, you don't have to identify as an alcoholic. It actually doesn't matter. What matters is is alcohol holding you back in life in any way. Mm. And if it is, then it's okay to question it and to start making changes. And it was literally the first time I had ever, ever heard anyone talk about alcohol in this way. Mm. And it's quite crazy. It was 2019. We're not talking about, you know, the year 2000. Yeah, it's quite recent. It's recent. Um, and so then that's when it all began. I read her book. Um, in like 24 hours, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to take a break from news day and that was going to be a month. Um, and I did that and I really loved, I loved sobriety from the get go. It was like this beautiful opportunity to get to know myself for the first time. And yeah, it just kept going. It kept going and going and going and it's been nearly four years. So Mm. yeah. Amazing. Wow. I, one of One of the things that I love and that I don't think I will ever tire from is when I sit down with another person and they tell their story and it's just 
light bulb after light bulb and it's just this constant identification and I you know I get it every time I sit in an AA room or I sit down with other sober people because nine times out of ten I find that people come to choose sobriety because as you said alcohol no longer serves them and so I think what you've touched on there is really important that you don't need to label yourself an alcoholic to decide that you want to choose a life of sobriety. I also don't think you need to have completely burnt your life to the ground. You know, you may just realise that, you know what, when I drink alcohol, I don't feel good the next day. Or when I drink alcohol, I say silly things. I wake up with guilt, shame and remorse. Any of those reasons are enough for you to perhaps choose to either choose a life of sobriety or even just take a break. Mm. You know, the health benefits are innumerable. Totally. That, you know, there's so many good reasons. and yeah. I um there's a few things as you were talking I was making some notes because I really wanted to come back to a few things the first one being I really identified when you spoke about your ex-husband and the fact that you both drank a lot and I think this is something that's really interesting to point out for people is that often when we have a problem with alcohol we choose to surround ourselves with people who drink like us and the reason we do that is so that there's not this light that's shined on our behavior because everybody is drinking the same way or behaving the same way and so I did that with my husband who was an addict and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me talking about this he's been on the podcast episode four if you want to check that out but it's really interesting because when you don't have people calling you out for your behavior and you're actually spending time with people that behave the same way you can get away with it for a lot longer has been my experience absolutely now you also dove into talking about the guilt shame and remorse and the behaviors where you would you would do things, wake up the next day and either check your phone or, you know, have a message from a friend. Can you talk to me a little bit more about the feelings that came up for you at that time? So from the physical hangover to, yeah, a little bit more around what that was doing to you from a mental health standpoint. Mm. I mean, I used to describe it as soul destroying, Mm. (laughs) waking up after a night like that and just feeling more anxious than you can ever imagine feeling, loathing the person who I was completely. Just I couldn't even make eye contact with myself in the mirror. I, yeah, I mean, now that I know the science behind alcohol and what actually happens to the body and the brain, I mean, it's a no bloody brainer that I had a generalised anxiety disorder for so long Mm. because I was fueling it. But, yeah, it was just, I guess it really disconnected me from knowing myself and from being able to develop a spiritual connection with myself and just be the best version of me. It really, I mean, not only did it stop me from being the best version, it made me the worst version. Mm. So it was just a really horrible, dark place to be stuck in for so long. And for no one, like not one person ever said to me, I think that you should stop drinking. I mean, that's not true. I did have a couple of ex-boyfriends make me take time off and things like that. But no one really sat me down and said, Luce, I think that there's a problem here and I think that you really need help. Mm. And that's because of the society that we live in. We are all conditioned and brainwashed to believe that it's just normal and that it's actually our responsibility to drink responsibly and it's nothing to do with alcohol, it's to do with us. So, Mm. yeah, I went on a tangent then, but yeah. No, I am absolutely. I'm sitting here nodding away. People can't see me, but I just like I'm agreeing with everything that you're saying there. In regards to these rules and these commitments you made around moderation, 
So you said that you would only have one glass of champagne, that you'd try to drink water. Now, I totally identify with this. I would do the same thing, whether it was going to a birthday, a baby shower, a wedding. I would set myself these rules. But as you said, the moment alcohol touched my lips, any of those bargaining chips or moderation tools that I had said I was going to stick to, it just went out the door. Mm. So it's this whole idea of like, you can't get drunk if you take the first drink. Mm. But if you're someone like you or I who, once we've had that drink, can't stick to mm. the moderation tools, and then, then I think that's when you can sort of think, well, perhaps maybe I do have a problem with alcohol. And that for me is the difference between somebody who is, a, say, a big drinker or somebody who can drink and then stop mm. versus somebody who can't. And I mean, when you think about what's going on in the brain when you have an alcohol use disorder and these really deeply embedded neural pathways that, you know, when you start to drink, it, the brain just says, okay, well, now we, we go like this and this is how we drink and we get drunk. So knowing all of this now, I mean, it all makes perfect sense. And it's not so much about, it's not so much looking at, you know, why am I getting so drunk? It's looking at that layer before it and, and sort of saying, well, well, what's happened in my life to make me want to use alcohol in this way? And I know that you talk a little bit about Dr. Gabor Mate and he always says, don't ask about why the addiction, but why the pain? And so every single time I drank or, you know, any other addictive behaviour, because I do have a few others as well. <laughs> I don't use any substances. I've, I do have a bit of an issue with emotional eating and it's sort of the last thing that I'm really trying to tackle at the moment. And it's a very similar um, reaction and the way that I, I, I behave in terms of the trigger, you know, and how I then, you know, grab the food to, to feel better. And this is exactly what was happening with alcohol. And often that trigger was anxiety for me. So social anxiety mm. was a huge trigger. Um, I used to get super anxious in the morning if I knew that I had to go out. And so that whole day there's this anxiety kind of boiling up inside of me I'm not taking any care or action to support myself in a healthy way with that anxiety. Um, and instead, I'm really excited for that first drink because I know once I have that, it's going to alleviate that, that stress and anxiety. Mm. Um, but then because of those addictive neural pathways, it's just, you know, the same thing happening over and over and over again. Mm. So you've really got to take a look at, well, why am I doing this? What's going on under the surface and what needs to be healed and addressed so that I'm not you know, behaving in this way. Mm. How were you presenting to the world during that time? Was it, could, were you visibly anxious or did you have a facade that you were able to sort of stand behind and let everyone think that you were perfectly okay? I think that it's a really hard question to answer because, I mean, I was around people who enabled me, my, my ex-husband enabled me and even my besties who, um, a couple of them have jumped on the sober train since. So I've now, we talk honestly and openly about it now, but for them it was it was really hard to say, like, I think there's something wrong with you. Um, and so one thing my dad did say to me a couple of weeks ago, which was so nice, he said, I've never, he said, you are, hang on, what did he say? He said, you are such a, you know, a pillar of hope for the family to see someone who's gone through such a huge tra transformation. You used to, you know, you always felt uneasy mm. and I think that's what it was, just this general – I mean, I felt it. I remember feeling so uneasy in my skin, uncomfortable in my skin um, and maybe I did put up a bit of a front and often that was quite a, 
a loud, you know, confident front, mm. but I definitely didn't feel loud and confident. Um, and now I guess it's just I'm just calmer. I'm more mm. at ease with who I am and just more comfortable in my skin. So, yeah, I don't know. I think I may have put up a bit of a front, but unfortunately whenever alcohol was involved, the front was, you know, completely torn down. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh, I'd be exactly the same. I'd pretend or I'd give off the air of everything being okay. And, you know, I almost used to pride myself on not being super emotional and I would very rarely cry. And then, But then I'd take a drink and then all of a sudden it would be 3 o'clock in the morning and my husband – would be on the balcony with me and I'd just be wailing and sobbing because I couldn't hold on to the the facade or the character anymore and all of my true emotions were starting to bubble up, all those ones that I kept pushing down, pushing down, pushing down. It was almost like they they had to bubble up to the surface at that time. Yeah. I also love what your dad said then about you being that pillar of hope and I think for people that have had experienced issues with alcohol, to hear that in sobriety is such beautiful feedback because I know for myself and I imagine for you for so many years we were the exact opposite I know for my friends and my family when I was coming to an event was like oh god what's Ash going to do this time how is she going to show up today so not only is it the anxiety that we have internally but the anxiety that we create for others totally that's That's so true completely Mm. gone now it's amazing now you mentioned that a couple of your friends have gotten sober now which is amazing And you mentioned in that that you now have these really beautiful, raw, honest, open conversations. And I wanted to dive into this a little bit more. It's been my experience that since getting sober, I had a lot of fear prior to getting sober that I would lose my friendships and that particularly my girlfriends who love a drink, um, I didn't think that we'd have anything left to bind us together. And what my experience has been in reality is that the close friendships are closer than ever and we don't drink together anymore but we go for long walks and we have these connected conversations that I was incapable of being in prior to getting sober. How has it been for you? So yes that has also been my experience with a couple of my best friends, my sister and my cousin Um, but also I've had to rebuild new friendships with people so I did find myself in this weird kind of place when I first stopped drinking Um, a lot of the people that I did hang out with I realized "Mm, you know I don't have a lot in common with these people Mm. and I would often you know a couple of times I did find myself out with these people and you know they're great people but they were in it to have a good night and I was not in the right place or the right headspace for that Mm. Um, so for me I mean I guess the best part about this whole thing has been rebuilding community around me. And that was that was one of the reasons why I went to AA. So when I first stopped about six weeks into my my sobriety, I I felt so alone. I felt disconnected. I didn't have, you know, at that point, those two girlfriends I talked about that are now sober or on one of them sort of, you know, on that path, the other one is 100% sober. I didn't really have those girlfriends yet. Mm. And so I went to AA to, to, I guess, to try and find like-minded women and, and community. Um, and I know your experience with AA has been great and I have heard that so many times and so I have nothing bad to say about AA but for me it didn't, it didn't I didn't find my, my community there. 
Um, but I did manage to find other sober women, and this is before, like this is before any Instagram accounts. Like maybe there were a few in the states and and the UK, but there was not really anything happening over here in Australia. People were still really hush hush about their sobriety. It was something that was still, you know, laced with shame and guilt. And so I went on to a meet. I went to a meetup which was run by. Um, a girl who was sober and we connected and I made friends with her and it felt amazing to have a really raw deep honest conversation with someone you know who was sober there was nothing you know superficial about the conversation it was amazing Mm. and we actually didn't stay in touch though but what that did was kind of gave me a taste of how empowering it is to be around other women who are sober um, which is really where Thrivalist sort of came from that Mm. idea of I want community I want sober community around me so I guess, yes, my, my existing friendships are definitely better. I had to kind of say goodbye to some friendships mm. and the best part has been, you know, finding new connections. That's just been amazing. Mm. So finding new connections, I completely agree with you, is really important so that you don't feel isolated and alone in sobriety but can you share with us I'm going to ask you about Thrivalist in a moment because I'm dying to know more about it but prior to that I wanted to just circle back to that early period of 2019 maybe what your what did your recovery look like what did your sobriety look like in the first 12 months what were the things that you were doing if you weren't going to AA or any other sort of 12-step fellowship program what were the things that you were doing and that perhaps other people might be able to try out if they're sober curious or wanting to look down the pathway of a sober life yeah so the first thing I did was got myself a journal and I was going to bring it today. I wish that I did. But the front page of it um, was basically my, I guess, um, I, my Bible for what I would follow every single day. For the first, for the, I mean, and originally it was only a 30-day plan to stop drinking for 30 days. So it was every single day I am going to do exercise. I'm going to move my body. I'm going to try and eat well. I'm not going to drink alcohol. I'm going to meditate and I'm going to do some gratitude practices. And it started off really basic like that. And, you know, every day I just added a little bit extra into that. So maybe I'd stretch out my meditation, practice a little bit longer. Um, I started to get really into exercise more than I've ever been into in my life. So pushing my body harder. Um, And also reading. There are so many incredible quit lit books and, you know, self-help books as well. So becoming obsessed with learning was a huge thing. The more that I understood the science behind alcohol and what it was doing to my brain, you know, all of the horrible health risks associated with drinking. I really kind of threw myself into learning as much as I could because through that knowledge came even more of a drive to stay sober. Mm. And so it was really, I guess, a practice that I I created myself um, to get sober. I did go to AA. So for six weeks in, I went to AA and I did about three months of AA meetings Mm. Um, I always felt they made me really anxious Mm -hmm. and I didn't feel overly empowered. I've never identified with the word alcoholic and to me it didn't feel right to say that. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel empowering. It felt, I don't know, I guess like I was losing some of my power. Mm. So the AA thing, yeah, so it was a great experience and I did learn a lot. I picked up some amazing tools in there and some – really incredible women to feel really inspired by and I've actually maintained a couple of those connections 
Um, but for me, it was really connecting with other women, not so much in the AA space, but women who are really on that health journey. Mm. Um, so really learning how to take care of themselves. And also, I mean, one of the most important parts of this whole thing is how can I create a life that's just so full of everything that I love and so full of joy um, so that I'm not wanting to escape or, yes. or you know, yes. I don't need to use alcohol as a coping mechanism. I also took this opportunity, this first 12 months. I don't know about you, but I had the pink cloud mm. quite full on. <laughs> it was fantastic. Absolutely. Um, can you describe for our listeners <laughs> who may not know that reference what the pink cloud is? Well, the pink cloud is, it's almost like a euphoric state that you can experience in early sobriety. And so when we stop punishing our body and pouring this horrible poison into our body, um, it reaches homeostasis. And sometimes the chemical can, chemicals can kind of go the opposite direction where you're getting so many of the happy hormones and, you know, all of those beautiful feel-good chemicals that make us just feel great. And for me, I had it for like a month or two and I remember feeling invincible mm. Um and I was really, really obsessing over how can I create some kind of business. I was already kind of wanting to create a business to help women very early on. So Thrivalist kind of began sort of six months in and I did spend a lot of time um, focused on that as well. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. And so part of that pink cloud, you've, you're spending time reconnecting with self, I imagine. And then you mentioned earlier that you went through your separation. Was that about 12 months into your sobriety? Yeah, it was just over 12 months. It was when we went into the first lockdown, mm. so around March 2020. Mm. Oh, hang on, May 2020. Um, I mean, I'd kind of known, I'd known for a while that it wasn't working mm. and sobriety just kind of took that that veil away from my eyes and I could just see so clearly what was happening and um, I could also just see my future if I stayed. Mm. And it was actually Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, that I was reading and yes. she's all about, you know, not staying because we think we have to for the kids. Mm. And that's what I was doing. Mm. I was, And it was also really scary to mm. think about just blowing up my family. Mm. Um, but that first lockdown, I mean, things got things got pretty bad to the point where it felt easier to leave. And so I just sort of took that leap. Mm. Um, and it was, you know, it was sad. It's always sad to to leave someone that you've spent so much time with, but it was also exhilarating. Mm. It was, it felt really freeing and it felt like I was finally really putting myself first and giving myself what I needed. And I wasn't going to, um, I guess hold myself back in any way and that's what sobriety has given me this opportunity to really push myself in all areas of my life mm. and the marriage was never going to allow me to do that mm. it's crazy as I sit here I'm not sure if you're aware I went through the exact same experience I actually didn't know at that one year sober <laughs> yeah so I left my marriage about Oh, very soon after my first wow. sobriety birthday. Um, we're still great friends today, but I I had known for a while that it wasn't working and what I came to in sobriety was this clarity of mind. You know, as long as I kept drinking, I was going to stay stuck. And I think for anybody listening who feels like they're they're stuck, they're in this cycle of Groundhog Day or you know, there's an area or multiple areas of their life that they just can't seem to move through or grow in, you know, perhaps alcohol is one of those things that's 
that's stopping you from being able to do so. That was certainly my experience mm. and it sounds like it's been the same for you. Oh, 100%. It really was. And I always wanted love. I've always believed in love. And there have been times in my life where I have been feeling a little bit better about myself. And this is going back to sort of when I was still drinking. Um, but just knowing I really want that beautiful connection with someone to share my life with. Mm. And I just knew that I wasn't getting that and I was never going to get it in my marriage. Mm. And so, I mean, I mentioned before, you know, <laughs> nine weeks later I met yeah. my partner who I'm now still with and it's been over two, two and a half years. And that is um, a really wonderful connection. We have a beautiful relationship and I really gave myself that opportunity by taking the risk and the leap and leaving to be able to give myself that. Well, that's exactly right. I was speaking to someone just recently about this. It's, you know, there's a lot of pain in letting go, but, and, and you never know it at the time, but I truly believe that the universe has in store for you what's meant to play out as long as you stay open to it. And when you let go and release the relationship or release the job or release whatever it is that's keeping you stuck, then all of a sudden you open up this space for what's truly meant to be to come in. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm really happy for you, Luce. (laughs) Thank you. Lucy, what's something that you didn't know about yourself while you were drinking that you've since discovered in sobriety? So, Ash, I have recently just started a little side hustle which is curve modeling and it was because um my sister's a producer she works for or she's not a producer she's a stylist sorry she sent my pictures from that I had done for coaching to a modeling agency and they signed me um, amazing it was Congratulations. So, thank you it was really really fun the whole thing's been so fun but what I didn't realize was I actually love I'm actually quite confident and so I feel great in front of the camera I feel really comfortable in my skin that I'm in which my whole life I've either done diets or fasts I've Mm. you know restricted what I've eaten I've trained I mean I still train crazy as well I mean that hasn't changed but just always trying to lose weight and then getting skinny and then going back to you know the whole yo-yo thing and and my my weight fluctuates so much as well um but something that sobriety has given me is this like full-blown confidence and comfort with who I am in my own skin knowing that I am perfect exactly as I am Mm. and not having this constant desire to want to lose weight or you know try and be skinny I guess yeah it's been so fun and I think it comes back to that self-worth piece doesn't it you know the better you feel about yourself the more confidence you have and it just again opens up so many doors that so otherwise doors. yeah and it's just that. such a fun little thing to do you know modeling it's just it's so fun I just love it it's so yeah that's amazing um, I feel like it's a nice little you know balance out from some of the, the coaching work that I do it's it's a little less intense and um yeah yeah I'm just okay now let's dive into Thriverlist. you mentioned that this was something that you started dreaming up from quite early on in your sobriety journey mm. so can you tell me a little bit more about what Thriverlist is what it does and what you do yeah I mean probably like you Ash just learning about how to get sober and understanding how incredible it is you just want to shout it from the rooftop which is what you're doing and I, I absolutely love the work that you do and so it sort of began, it first began with a Facebook post really. 
And this was when I was about three months sober. And I posted on Facebook. I actually had some professional photos taken. I don't really know why, but I did. <laughs> and I posted Great. a professional picture and um, and my story. And it went crazy. Mm-hmm. And all of my followers were, you know, I'm so proud of you. This is amazing. But then also I had a whole bunch of other people reaching out to me who I'd never met before saying, can you help me? Like, how can I get out of this? Mm. I'm stuck in that. I can totally relate to you. And so I started to give a lot of free advice, really. And then I started my Instagram account, which was recently hacked and I lost it and I had to start a new one, which oh. is horrible. But I started an Instagram account and um, was giving free coaching advice and I would often like run little Instagram lives and women would jump in and ask me questions. So it was very much a hobby on the side. I was also working in marketing. Mm. And so uh, I, I reckon, you know, I'm just trying to piece it all back together. Sorry, the, the birth of Thrivalist. Also, then I trained to become a life coach. Um, so I'd always wanted to be a psychologist before, you know, going off track and getting stuck into a marketing career that, you know, pretty unfulfilling if I'm completely honest I always had this passion for being a psychologist and then I started to look into doing a course and the time and and the money and the commitment with kids and so I thought well let's just do a life coaching course to start with and so I trained to become a life coach and I met my ex-co-founder in the same cohort as me so we trained together we both had a very similar idea and she was also very very passionate about this space and so together we joined forces and we created our first eight-week module course which was a signature sobriety course um, and it was amazing it did really well we promoted it on social media and shared it with our, our personal networks as well and so from there it just kept going we thought well let's do it again and we kept running the eight-week course I brought Jen out about a year into the process. She did go back to drinking, um, which was always going to be a risk, I think, mm, in this space. And so I, I bought the business and I've just kept running my my signature sobriety course as well as other courses. So now we have about four or five courses mm. at any given time and also a membership platform. So women can join and just stay part of the community Um, and pay a monthly membership fee and access all of the content. We have a lot of um, incredible experts and mentors. We have different coaches and counsellors working for us. Um, And it's just, I mean, we've supported close to 4,100 women now. So have come through the membership. It's amazing. It's been a really um, incredible, like, pinch yourself experience. Mm. And it's just been fun. I mean... Yes, it's draining at times because you have to give yourself so much to other women and Mm. really be there for them because part of this is I am here for you and I really want to help you. I'm not just sort of ticking you off as a number and in you go. Yeah. So it's a really personalised approach. And then also part of Thrivalist, I do one-on-one coaching as well. So, yeah, pretty busy. Busy lady. (laughs) But it sounds like you're doing your life's work. So what a meaningful, beautiful journey you're on. Yeah. It really is. So if I were to signature sobriety course, what are some of the things that I could expect as ways of um, tools and support throughout that? Mm. And is it something that you would do at the beginning? Like is it for somebody who's maybe still drinking but sober curious or is it somebody who's given up and really needs that foundation or that support in the initial period? Well, it's really for both um, and it's also for women who have tried and, and and maybe, you know, not failed but fallen back into drinking and, and are ready to, to have another shot. And so it's an eight-week or eight-module course and it's really about educating um, 
educating our members to understand exactly what's going on in the body and the brain when it comes to using alcohol. It's about impact. So we give women what we call the Thrivalist Five tools. I mean, we haven't created all the tools. A few of them, I mean, you've heard of Play the Tape Through, mm. um, Holding Space Yourself, which was a tool that I used in early sobriety so much, which is basically to learn how to sit with your feelings and really understand what's happening, what's coming up so that you can grow through the craving and the trigger as opposed to caving into it and mm. just strengthening that neural pathway. And so there's the tools we then work into how to create a really um, – you know, empowering an incredible life for yourself so that it's not, like I said before, it's all about creating healthy life and it's 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 got to be built around like a holistic approach. So we have the Thrivalist Holistic Framework, which takes a look at all of the different areas of your life to make sure that everything is working in accordance with one another and everything works smoothly. Um, we also have, I mean, I'm not sure if you've heard of amino acid supplementation protocols to help with um, neurotransmitter deficiencies in the brain. So mm. We look at what's happening in the brain and then we go on to self-diagnose if there's any, all natural, by the way, amino acid supplementations that can support with those cravings in the early sobriety stages. Yeah, great. Um, and there's just so much more. I mean, it, the, the, the manual's like, I'm holding my fingers up, it's about two inches thick and it's wow. just full of content. And there's workshops and there's work um, workbooks and we have experts that come and speak to our community every week. We have meditation circles and there's also the group coaching call. So every Wednesday and Sunday we have a group coaching call with either a counsellor or a coach. Um, yeah, I think I've just yeah described most of it. Yeah, that's amazing. You've given me a really detailed overview and it just sounds incredible, the work that you're doing. And above all, like you said, you're creating this community. Which and that's what it is, yeah. Yeah, women can tap into and find like-minded people who are on the same journey and form those friendships and those support networks, which is such a big part of being able to stay sober, I think. It is. And it's actually just the most, I guess, what's the word, rewarding part of this job mm. is to look at the women who have connected through Thrivalist and not only that, they're now supporting our community. They've become Thrivalist mentors and so they run their own mentor calls to help other women as well um but yeah it is a really beautiful beautiful community of like-minded women it's it's wonderful amazing now you've spoken about how removing alcohol from your life enabled you to form a much deeper connection with yourself can you tell me a little bit more about what this looks like in regards to I know you speak a lot about self-love and self-worth and also manifestation mm. take me through that yeah well, I guess one of the things that you really lose when you're stuck in the alcohol trap is a connection with your intuition. Mm. And you might have it, but you certainly don't listen to it. And so with sobriety, there's this opportunity to start listening to that that gut instinct that's trying to guide you on the right path. It's trying to give you information that's really important for you to navigate your life in the way that it's supposed to go. So that was really exciting at the beginning to, you know, hear this voice and I really started to connect in with that through meditation so the way that I meditate is just to listen to sort of some some music or some singing bowls and to close my eyes and just focus on my third eye section up there on the forehead mm. and just sort of wait and I sit in that space for maybe 10 to 20 minutes sometimes longer um, and when I'm in that meditative space I really feel 
this overwhelming sense of connection with my, I call her my higher self um, or my goddess. And it's after the meditation that I feel so clear and I can, you know, often I'll have my journal out and I'll just write down what came through those meditations, what actions I need to take in my life, um, you know, anything to do with work that might have come up. So that was a really exciting process that I'd never experienced before, mm. ever, when I was drinking. And mm. so that's something that I've continued to grow and it keeps getting better and stronger with time. And then the self-love, I mean, another thing that completely goes out the window when you're drinking unhealthily is an ability to like who you are. Mm. You're constantly letting yourself down. Mm. You're constantly embarrassing yourself. For me, my self-worth was so low to the point where I honestly couldn't look at myself in the mirror. Mm. I really disliked who I'd become and there was just so much shame um, yeah, and so you stop drinking and you actually start to feel proud of yourself. Mm. And it starts off as, you know, it's small. It's like, okay, yep, I've done, a, I've done a day, I've done a week, wow. And then it keeps building. And the longer you stay sober and the more you focus on creating this healthy life for yourself, this holistic healthy life, the better that feeling gets. Mm. Um, and so that's self-love. It's an mm. ability just to really feel proud of yourself Mm. to speak to yourself in a kind way, um, to stop beating yourself up about everything, to, to allow yourself to rest and, and chill out when you need it mm. without putting yourself, you know, under all of these these strict sort of guidelines and rules. So it's really an evolution self-love, isn't it? It doesn't just stop. It just keeps growing and getting mm. better and better. And also, I mean, for me, I, I lost a lot of weight when I first separated which I thought at the time was amazing. Mm. I lost about 15 kilos. Wow. Yeah. And because I was quite overweight when I was drinking, I'd lost 30 kilos when I got sober and then I lost another 15. And recently I've put that weight, not all of it, but quite a bit of it back on. And I've been really battling with this idea of I really want to embrace and feel empowered by my curves and, and love myself the way that I am. But then I'll see a fat picture and it all goes out the window. That inner critic flares back up. Oh, and yeah. totally. So it's it's a process and I talked a little bit before about my emotional eating. It's also this really ongoing process of trying to improve myself and trying to get to the root of my behaviour by understanding what's going on, you know, on that, that lower level in terms of what trauma, what happened to me when I was a kid or what happened to me when I was an adult around, you know, anything in life that's making me feel uncomfortable so that I need to escape. Mm. Um, yeah I don't know I feel like I went off track then but yeah so it's just an ongoing process of learning to love and care for yourself on a much deeper level than I ever did when I was drinking yeah I think you've explained that idea of self-love really beautifully I think some people can hear the term self-love and almost get a bit of an ick or feel like oh not this kind of stuff but in its most simplest form it's just about rebuilding your self-esteem right mm. we come into recovery or into sobriety often with a completely shattered sense of self-esteem because of our actions and behaviors and that guilt shame and remorse so you know, showing up one day at a time and not picking up a drink and, you know, starting to become reliable and dependable and somebody, like your father said, a pillar of hope. Like, wow, you know, it's those sorts of things that I do think, yeah, at the same time, develop that self-love, that self-esteem. You're able to hold your head up high. And for me, it's been one of the pillars or one of the things that drives me to stay sober 
because I don't want to go back to feeling the way I did prior. Oh, hell no. (laughs) Absolutely not. Now, we're coming into the silly season and you mentioned at the top of the show that your rock bottom happened around Christmas Day. How have you managed leading up to summer, we're in Australia, so that's Christmas, um, in your three, almost four years of sobriety since? Mm. Well, to be honest, now I'm completely in the clear. I don't ever think about drinking. I don't ever worry about feeling triggered or I don't romanticise about alcohol anymore. Mm. The first couple of years, 100%, especially being in lockdown. I mean, we came out of that first, oh, sorry, the first year it was not in lockdown. I felt very um, raw. I remember feeling like I needed to prepare myself overly for every single event and what that meant was making sure that I had someone that I could reach out to if I needed support it meant having a plan always having a drink ready to go whether that was a water Mm. or having some kombucha to take with me Um, really playing that tape through and thinking about what you know what would happen if I did have a drink tonight and going through each hour by hour by hour versus if I don't have a drink each hour by hour Mm. how will I feel tomorrow having a really beautiful plan the following day to support sorry, to celebrate and reward myself. Um, So I did go into overdrive in that first silly season around how can I get through this without relapsing. Mm. And so I think when you you spend, I guess there's a way to get through a trigger that's almost like white knuckling. And so if you're not going to do the work, you're just going to write it out and you're just going to hope for the best. Things don't change as fast in your brain. Mm. But when you give yourself the right tools to learn skills that you can keep with you forever, that's when you have the long-term behaviour change. And so it only took me maybe one silly season until I felt really confident um, with my sobriety. I remember when we did come out of lockdown, though, I found it quite challenging, especially because I don't know if you remember that. Were you still drinking then, 2020? No, I was about six months sober. Mm. And it felt like like everyone came out of lockdown and Everyone was drinking. Yeah, like people walking down the street carrying. Totally. Yeah. It felt like alcohol was everywhere. I'm so glad you <laughs> felt the same. I thought that was just me. No, <laughs> it was 100%. Everyone in Thrivalis said it as well. It was a very challenging time. Everyone was drinking, relying on alcohol to feel better and using alcohol to celebrate the fact that we were out of lockdown, mm. which is really, really sad. Mm. Um, and it's just because of the advertising that we see, the media that we see and the brainwashing that we've received our whole life around alcohol. Um, but I'm lucky that my partner doesn't drink either. So we're both sober. So awesome. we were together through that first lockdown. And, you know, if I did have a romanticising thought, oh, doesn't that look nice sitting in the sun drinking whatever she was drinking, um, he would just knock it on the head and say, yeah, but... For you and for me, it was never just one drink. Mm. So I often talk about how to kind of squash those romanticising thoughts and I think the best way to do it is to just realise that what you're romanticising about is actually an illusion. Mm. So first of all, it doesn't exist. Um, And then secondly, it's just playing that tape through and just keep going over the scenario over and over again and then using all the other tools as well. But just to squash it on its head, it's an illusion, it's not real. It's exactly right, isn't it? You know, you, you, if, you're, if you have alcohol use disorder or you identify as an alcoholic, you can look at somebody sitting out in the sunshine, drinking that glass of rosé and think, oh my gosh, doesn't that look nice? But the reality is that if you were to step into those shoes, it wouldn't just be one glass of rosé. It would be one glass and then one bottle and then a second bottle and then you're not showing up for work the next day. Mm. And you've said, 
things that you regret and it's the same every single time and that's when you know they talk about that insanity of being like for me I identify as an alcoholic I know what's going to happen if I take a drink and yet I still choose to pick up the next drink Mm. that's crazy yeah it is (laughs) Oh, Lucy, we're coming to the end of our chat and I'm just so full of all of the goodness that you've shared with us today. Can we circle back though to this idea of manifestation? How does one incorporate that into their lives? This has been the funnest part of sobriety. So when, again, when you stop drinking, something that starts to happen is that your self-worth starts to increase. And you talked about self-esteem, very similar. Um, And it's just a feeling of feeling worthy, worthy of things. And so when you're worthy, you create an energy around you um, that attracts similar sorts of energies back. And so my manifestation practice really began um, about six months into, into my sobriety. And it just sort of started as just writing down a little list of things that I really wanted in my life. And with that, you know, raised level of self-worth, plus obviously taking all of the actions and, you know, you can't just put it out to the universe and hope that it comes. You've actually got to follow through with action. You've got to believe that you're truly, truly worthy of it. It's not just um, wanting it. It's like, no, I know that I'm going to get this. And then also just letting go and knowing and trusting that it's coming in its own time. And so I just started to experience really magical examples of things starting to come to me and it was kind of a little bit crazy <laughs> I've always been quite spiritual but within you know that that my alcohol drinking extreme alcohol drinking days I mean you're unable to have that self-worth that really allows you to believe that things can come to you and so that's been my experience I mm. believe I mean my partner would laugh at me for saying this. He doesn't believe in manifestation. Well, he does on a scientific level. Mm-hmm. But I believe that I really manifested him and I believe that I've manifested quite a few things in, in my life as well since quitting drinking. So, yeah, it all comes back to self-worth. And without sobriety, when, you're in, when you have an alcohol use disorder or you're an alcoholic, you just can't have that level of self-worth to be able to create the life that you truly want. You've just reminded me of something that was shared with me at the beginning of my sobriety journey and it's something that I share with the women that I work with now is that sobriety will give you a life beyond your wildest dreams and it is completely true. Mm, it it really, really will. You do. You open up to this source and then, yeah, I you know often share with people, I'm two and a half years in and if you had told me on day one that my life would be looking as it is today, there's just no way. I would have believed you. I live in a different city. I'm no longer married. I quit my corporate job. I'm chasing my dreams. I teach yoga. None of that existed two and a half years ago. So it's such a small amount of time. I'm filled with so much hope and anticipation and excitement for what the future holds. And I do credit all of that to the fact that I no longer drink. Absolutely. I know. Me too. You mentioned (laughs) that your partner doesn't drink. Mm, was that a happy coincidence did he give up because you weren't drinking no it was um it was yeah the universe (laughs) I actually met him on tinder and his profile didn't say he was sober mine didn't either in fact I don't think you actually have a profile on tinder do I can't really remember um it just so happened that he was and so it's been Truly, I mean, yeah, I mean, that was just the icing on the, top, on the top of the cake. I didn't even think that I would ever meet someone else sober. So, yeah, it's been amazing. We have a really healthy, 
happy life together. We both have really similar interests and, you know, we both love to go to bed early. It's the mm. best. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But also, like we were saying earlier, you know, those connected conversations and that level of depth that you can get to, having that in your most intimate relationship is incredible. It really is. Yeah. yeah. Now, to finish off, I wanted to ask you, Lucy, if you had any advice for our listeners who are perhaps sober curious or contemplating a change in their lifestyle, what would that advice be? So I think if you've come to a place where you are contemplating your relationship with alcohol, it's generally a sign um, that there is a problem. And so just getting real with yourself and having those honest conversations with yourself rather than pretending that everything's okay is the first step. And knowing that it's not scary, it really isn't scary. There are so many communities and coaches like the beautiful Ash or Thrivalist or AA, whatever support you need. I mean, that's the next thing. It's having those honest conversations. It's finding support because I really believe it is just so much easier when you have the support around you Um, and just knowledge. So read as much as you can, research as much as you can, follow all of the Instagram accounts, um, really familiarise yourself with everything that alcohol is doing to your body and your brain so that you can undo that brainwashing and, you know, yeah, decondition those beliefs that you have around alcohol because they're not true. You've been lied to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that would be my advice. Just know that it's not it's not as scary as it feels, I promise, and... Once you take that first step, you're really opening a door that has, like you said, a life beyond your wildest dreams. So Mm. it is so worth it. It's totally worth Mm. it. Push through the fear, try it out. And, you know, like you said, you started with 30 days, right? You're about to hit four years. Mm, Absolutely. Incredible. Lucy, I can't thank you enough for being here today, for sharing your time and your wisdom with myself and our listeners. If anybody that has tuned in wants to find out more about yourself or more about the Thrivalist community, where should they go? So the best place to go is the Thrivalist Sobriety website, the Thrivalist Instagram, um, and you can also follow my personal Instagram account as well. Excellent. Well, I'll make sure that I pop all of those details into the show notes. We say here on the show that when we recover loudly, no one needs suffer in silence. So thank you for being part of my mission, this incredible journey that we're both on and helping others to perhaps look into a life of sobriety. Thanks for having me, Ash. It's been amazing and well done for the incredible work that you do. It's so important and powerful. Thanks, Lucy.